Guns of Navarone.
rude boys and rude girls, this is Phil. I want to welcome you to this episode of Rock Study Tonight. Got something special lined up for you today. Tuesday, Rick and I were granted a very special interview with the Scottlites ahead of their Friday live stream in New York City. So we got some time to sit down and talk with Ken Stewart, James Smith, and Natty Frenchie. And what you have before you is that interview, interspersed with some of their greatest tunes. So turn it up loud and enjoy it. And don't forget to check out the Scottlates Facebook page for the details of the show coming up this Friday, October 30th. As always, thanks for listening. And make sure you're checking out www.rocksteadytonight.com for archive shows and track listings. Alrighty, you have to pardon us. It's not every day we get to talk to gentlemen of your caliber. So, I guess I guess we'll start with you, Mr. Mr. Stewart. As, right. as, uh, as it was mentioned earlier... Doreen, I've been in a band here for 33 years, and you're in next for 32. What does that mean to you in terms of... Um... It means I'm old. <laughs> uh, the clock be ticking. That's okay. A little humor, you know? No. Okay. Anyway, um, no, I mean, I was, uh, it was, I was only playing reggae for barely two years when I saw the band. And ended up in it about six months later. And it's pretty hard to believe that now I've been in the band more than half of my life. Wow. That's pretty awesome, though. People that I've met and played with. And, I mean, it's it just goes on and on and on. <laughs> I was just actually looking at the... Um, there's a thing called All Music used to be called All Music Guide, but music.com. Basically, mm-hmm. that's where you'd go to find out who played on what. And I was just checking out the uh, the history, the discography, whatever you want to call it. And a lot of it's, a lot of it's missing. But Robbie Lynn, oh my goodness. He has played <laughs> with everybody and anybody. It's not a scatolite, but he's one of the vintage guys that was at Studio One towards the end of the you know the late 60s. And that's not even mentioned. His, his thing on All Music Guide starts out in 1972 and just goes, it's just so long that people, reggae and, and other genres, you know, Sinead O'Connor, for instance, that's mm-hmm. probably on the, the Sly and Robbie album. But all these people that I've come to know, Toots, you know, who's just passed away, was a good friend I met early on. Um, I met him once or twice, maybe without the Scatolites involved. I wasn't, you know, I hadn't met them yet. But then when I met Toots and I was with Lloyd Nib, now you're talking two best buddies from way back one, and I get to come along and and for the ride basically and just hear the stories. Toots was still using Lloyd Nib on drums in the studio up until when Lloyd died. You know, they were good friends. We would all see each other in Jamaica if we were down there. If Toots was here, I, I must have seen Toots at least 100 times, probably sat in close to 50 of them. Uh, Winston Wright used to play for Toots, Andy Basford. Just, you know, it's like a big family out there. And that's the thing, it got to be so, when we're on the road at these festivals and stuff, you look forward to, you look at the lineup and say, oh, wow, so-and-so is going to play. And that's what actually Robbie Lynn did to us because he saw that we were going to perform the same festival as whoever he was playing with. Uh, I guess it was Lloyd Parks. But um, he offered to play 
the the harmonica solo on the song with Stranger Cole, Rough and Tough, because he knew he was going to be in the same place with us. So he came up on stage and played the harmonica solo in Rough and Tough. is one of the most famous ska songs ever. When Island Records did their like best of, or actually a reggae history type of thing, they put that out in the 90s. I can't remember the name of it right this minute. So I think it was actually called Rough and Tough. Mm-hmm. And that's the name of the song. So stuff like that. I mean, obviously the original Scatolites playing with most of them, except for Don Drummond, who passed away in the 60s. And John Jerry, I never actually performed with him. I saw him the first time I saw the band. And then he was in the mix when we played for the Prime Minister, PJ Patterson. In oh. Yeah, we played at Jamaica House for the Prime Minister. At the Independence Gala, let me think, it was 2000, so it must have been the 42nd, something like that. No. Anyway, <laughs> 38th, 38th Independence Gala, somewhere I have the some brochures and stuff. So I met Jar Jerry, he was there at that, and um, Carlos Malcolm performed that night. So that was really cool. Um, he had some... You know, some some of the older members of his band with him. Trevor Lopez on guitar, very famous. Wow. Uh, you know, it's Legends of Ska. Here we go. I can actually show you this one. I don't know how well you can see that. Yes, yeah, quite well, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, Those are all the signatures with all the artists on there. I mean, I, just the vocalists. There was 15 vocalists spread across wow. two nights. Alton Ellis, Prince Buster, Lord Creator, Stranger Cole, and Patsy Todd, and Derek Morgan, Derek Harriet, Winston Samuels, Owen Gray. I mean, and the people that weren't there was was a shame, too. Toots was invited, couldn't make it. He was on tour. Mm-hmm. We could do another whole show with all the people that weren't in it. Yeah. And still, and still now they're octogenarians. They're still able. Stranger, I mean James. You saw. I mean he just the guy is like timeless. He's almost eighty years old and acts like a twenty year old. <laughs> Music keeps you young. Yeah, yeah man, it's, that must have been like like just mind blowing to perform with all those guys in the same like you know event. Yeah, one of the coolest, one of the first biggies. There was a show up in Toronto in 1990, right before Jackie Mattoo passed away. So I had been friends with him for a while at that point. And he, I was originally supposed to be included on this show. So it was the Scatolites, but some of them could still couldn't travel. Tommy McCook, um, not sure if Brevet King. Yeah, Brevet must have played bass that night. Anyway... We put together a Scatolites for the show because it was in Canada and some people couldn't go from the actual touring band, which actually, I think the band, no, we hadn't even started touring yet. It was before that. So it was Desmond Decker and the Aces, Hmm. Scatolites, and I didn't even know who he was and I didn't even know he was on the bill until I got there, but Roy Shirley, who most people have never heard of and never will, you know. But he was a very interesting artist, uh, big in, big amongst Jamaicans. You know, he never and Canadian Jamaicans, more Jamaicans in Toronto than there are in Jamaica, I believe. But so 
it was, and then there was an, another act called, well, a guy called Pluggy Satchmo, who was actually his, absolutely hysterical. He came out and did like Blueberry Hill and ballads, like, you know, Unchained Melody and stuff like that. And he star danced he, uh, and he was dressed in like all white suit and all white shoes, and all white, like Stetson hat or a 10 gallon or whatever it was. <laughs> and the funniest thing was I walk in, I get off the plane and I walk into the bar and there's Desmond Je Decker, Lord Tanamo and Lynn Tate all sitting at the bar. And it's like 1130 in the morning. Mm hmm. And I just, they offered me a shot and I was like, no, I don't really, I never was much for daytime drinking, but it was, you know, just to be able to sit there and chat with them and laugh and hear the stories they were telling amongst each other. Just, you know, I sat there like a fly on the wall and just soaked it all in, which I've done for all 33 years now. And boy, have I heard a lot. <laughs> <laughs>
Ken, Ken has a very interesting backstory, but uh, I'm sure yours is equally as interesting. As, as a young fellow, what kind of music influenced you and how, how did it ultimately lead you to the Scatolites? Oh, wow. Well, uh, that association came from, uh, well, I met Ken, what was it, uh, 1989? 90, Ken? In, in the grill? I was working with Spear. That wasn't actually until 95. Yeah, and um, that's where that's where my introduction to reggae music came from. I was at North Texas uh, in 89 working on my master's in jazz. Mm. And um, the trumpet player, Diane Lyle, David Robinson sax, and uh, uh, Charles Dickey. That was to be the brass section. And I was actually at the spear gig with, uh, you know, playing trombone, but I couldn't get a trombone. But anyway... That's how I got uh, got off into reggae music, and um, uh, before then, I was uh, you know I was doing like the military. I had the military um, uh, thing happen. First, I did infantry, then I did transportation. Mm-hmm. Then I played in the army band, then I transferred to the air force band, and uh, that's where I met uh, Diane and I met Dave, and that's how I got hooked up with Spear. And as my travels happened with Spear, I ran into Ken. And, um, you know, that's how that happened. And anyway, um, uh, Ken had approached me before, but I was already working with Spear, and we were kind of like running parallel. Every now and then we would buck up, we would crisscross over the years, different tours, different shows, and we would, uh, you know, see each other and say hello. And uh, uh, I didn't actually get linked up until 2018. That's when I got hooked up with uh, the Scatolites. But the vibe was all re- was nice for years. Like I said, I've been knowing Ken for years. We've known each other for years. Well, you got called by other other people to go into the Scatolites, didn't you? Uh, actually, uh, uh, Nathan gave me a shout. Nathan Breedlove. But at that time, I had uh, uh, I was doing Broadway. I was mm. doing Full Monty with uh, KB. Yes, 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 KB. Uh, I was serving for him. And eventually I got the show because KB got something else. And that was cool, except for the producers. When the producers won all those Tony Awards, you, you guys recall, the yeah. Fulton yeah. was nominated too. But they got like Nathan East, they got like uh, 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 Matthew Broderick, and uh, what's the comedian's name? Uh, Mel Brooks. So, you know, everybody just gave everything to, uh, you know, the producers and, yeah, you know, they really don't remember the second place. But anyway, that's, um, that's what was up with that. So I imagine like, um, you know, the Scatolites, the, a lot of the original members were, were jazz musicians to start with. Do you find there's a lot of jazz influence in, uh, in the music? Uh, quite a bit. But for me, it's a lot, a lot of discipline just to stick with the lines because like I, like I was saying, I'm coming from North Texas working on jazz in that environment. Everybody's playing fast as they can. They're playing as high as they can. They're playing mm-hmm. all kind of altered changes. You know, well, that wasn't what the Scatolites was about. You know, you play the line, stick with the line. Then when it's time for you to have a statement, a solo, then you can say what you need to say. And after your solo, then you come back to the script and you stay in your lane with that script. And uh, that kind of what uh, uh, the military helped me with. You know, just they would depart, you know, don't add nothing. The composer, you know, he wrote what he wanted. You know, if you want to do something that you want to do, 
then you write something. But until you write something, you stick with the script. Gotcha. Well, I think that nowadays, horn players, especially, you know, coming out of Berkeley and most of these jazz schools, I mean, who can actually go out and play jazz? I'd say a high percentage of them end up in ska bands because it can work. Right. They still don't make any money, but... <laughs> Speaking of that, Donald Byrd, as famous as he was, he said that he drove, you know, used cars until he started with the Blackbirds and crossed over into the R&B thing with uh, Rock Creek Park and them that kind of thing. Then he was able to get a Cadillac. <laughs> <laughs> Walking in rhythm? Yes, yes. <laughs> Trying to find some info, we uh, noticed that you were in a reggae band in 1986 in Boston. What band was that? Well, it was called the Coswell Jackson Band. Coswell Jackson. Which was funny because when we got in the band, he was the only Jamaican. Everybody called him Jocko. I never knew his real name. And so we had been debating for a while over the name of the band. And I said, Jocko, what's your name? Because I knew that it was probably some classic name because Jamaicans typically are, you know, unusual English, British, whatever. 
So sure enough, Coswell Jackson he said, all right, it's like, and that's the name of the band. And then I went to Rhode Island after seeing Burning Spear uh, at a show in Rhode Island. That was my first big reggae show. And I said, boy, it was it was when the three girls had just started playing with them. They had just graduated Berkeley. And this was one of their first shows. So I was just so impressed with the contrast, you know, and the music itself, of course, but just the contrast with the old Rastaman and the old elder Jamaican, well, not so elder at that time, but, you know, veteran, accomplished musicians, you know, you were hearing some music and then these three young ladies that were, you know, dressed attractively and playing extremely well and just the whole thing was, was you know, just a mesmerizing burning spear with its trumpet-like vocals. Very cool stuff, you know. Uh, yeah, absolutely right. The love in Paris that he did with uh, the three girls. That's exactly the one. I saw them. I think yeah, five times with that lineup because I started to just go to every show I could. And oh yeah, so at that show I met a man named Wilson Blue, who was an extremely good vocalist and could also play instruments well enough to kind of help you along your way with your instrument as you entered the world of reggae, like taught you how to skank or the, at least what the heck that meant, mm -hmm. bubbling, popping and this and that. And, you know, he was really good. He was doing all kinds of cover songs. So I was getting to know the music through, through that. And he just, you know, it, we were opening every big show, everyone. They were very friendly with people running, uh, Lupo's Heartbreak Hotel, which was where most of the big shows were in, in Providence. And um, I met Cat Core because he drove up in a Winnebago. And, and that's actually where I got the idea to use a Winnebago for the first Scatolites tour about two years later. And then, you know, Toots. I met Toots at Lupo's. We just opened every show. So then that, back then, you had reggae you know, once a week in New England. Wow. There was a club called The Channel in Boston that was like the mecca of it all. As a matter of fact, they're the ones that started the agency that ended up bringing Bunny Whaler on tour. And they were in touch with me. They knew the Scatolites. They had told Bunny, you know, Bunny hadn't actually seen any of the Scatolites in ages. But through the communication that was going on at the time, we ended up being able to do support for the first Bunny Whaler tour in the U.S., which was our first tour as well. And we went out with four tour buses full of really? and staff. Wow. Yeah, Bunny, Bunny's band was 18 people on stage. Holy smokes. Wow. And we had Neville Garrick on lights and a lot of Bob Marley people like Dennis Thompson was the engineer in front of house and it was just, you know, there was a, a cook, there was a stage manager and a production manager and a keyboard tech and a guitar tech and a da da da. That was one bus. That was a staff. <laughs> they had two buses for Bunny's band, and then they had our bus, which, you know, Dizzy Johnny was playing with, with Bunny Whaler at the time. Trumpet. Yeah, and Bobby Ellis, both of them together. Wow, I bet that was, that was pretty serious. And the two Bailey brothers on, on sax and trombone, Barrington and Everton, I believe. 
Everton was the sax guy. Barrington was the trombone. He played trombone with us because we didn't. Our trombone was Ron Wilson, and he couldn't come on tour because he was a school teacher. So we used Dizzy and Bunny and um, Barry, we call him, uh, from the from the Bunny band. And so that you know that was those two musicians were common to both bands. And then there was a dancer, which was supposed to be, I believe, three dancers. It was called Switch Dance Troupe. And I tell you, you want to see some dance. These guys were like break dancing to reggae. It was amazing. You go Google it. Google Jamaican dance or something. So you can go all the way back to the ska days, quadrille, all of that. They always have some, you know, extremely unique and, and interesting dance going on there. Always. You're going to see some extremely uh, good ska dancing coming up on Friday's night um, live streaming because we have Alfonso Castro. Alfonso Castro was on a TV show, 1959, Teenage <laughs> Dance Party, Kingston, Jamaica, 1959. Wow. This guy was eventually sent here to the United States to represent Jamaica at the time. Well, people say it was at the, to the World's Fair, but it actually wasn't a, an actual delegation to the World's Fair. They did end up performing one time at the World's Fair one night, but it was an actual tour of the U.S. and Canada, actually. And they toured, it was Jimmy Cliff, Prince Buster, Castro, some dancers, some singers, some players, etc. Now it was Byron. Byron Lee was the band, which oh. was which was what was so controversial because it should have been the Scatterlies. We bought up with Byron Lee and uh, uh, Jimmy Cliff to uh, uh, tour him with Spear. We bought up with them a couple of times. Well, it's funny because they always say, you know, with people that know this story, and it, there's an actual book about it written by Heather. Um, Heather Augustin, and it's called Operation Jump Up. Operation Jump Up. Because the music didn't even have a name yet. And they were planning all this at the time of independence of Jamaica in 1962. The World's Fair was being booked already. So they needed to get their act together if they wanted to get in on this thing. What do you mean book? The World's Fair was being booked. They were booking. Yeah, well, bands, it's, right? yeah it's like it was it was already being booked. Like the acts, whoever was going to oh. perform, whichever countries were being invited, what was going to happen. Okay, okay, okay. So they were late in the game because they just became a country in August of 62. So it was late, you know, so they didn't actually get in, quote, unquote, to the thing. But they put together a tour. You know, they got to come over all these artists, like a large amount, like I think a whole airplane full of people uh, at the expense of Air Jamaica, you know. And they flew, maybe, might have even been pre-Air Jamaica. I don't even know, remember that part of the book. But anyway, I just finished this book, so I can relate this story pretty well. But it's pretty amazing. You know, the Atlantic Records was involved. And uh, what's his name? The the, the guy who was the, the head of the uh, Amit. Anyway, Atlantic Records marketed the record called This Is Ska, or oh. Jamaican Ska, by Byron Lee, which was, you know, a, a kind of like a compilation of vocalists performing with Byron Lee. And yeah. they tried to sell it, not just as music, but at, back then there was a dance, you know, there was always the jerk and the monkey and all these dances coming through, the twists, 
Mm-hmm. So they tried to market the ska dance and the ska music, and it just didn't really grab, you know. It, it did all right. did all right. But it was a trend. Like every other dance, it was a trend, and it was over fairly quickly. And also, as I was trying to say, they, people say, oh, it should have been the Scatolites that were sent there. But actually, the Scatolites didn't exist yet. You know, they were playing on the records as a, as a studio conglomerate, I guess. But there was no name. It wasn't a band. There was all guys from other bands that were out there doing the hotels and stuff. But... Skylights came in around like what 63, 60 between 63 and 65 is when they start first started up. Well, this is part of the story. Is I, I think that really this is this was the straw that broke the camel's back. This when the when Byron Lee was sent to the World's Fair mm-hmm. to the, on this exp, expedition, 
the Scatolites said, boy, we got to get our act together, man. We need to form a band. Right. Because it actually formed the first reports in the newspaper and, and from most of the guys. They actually played in um, a, a club called the Hi-Hat Club that was in Raytown that was supposed to be a rehearsal. And it was they there was so many people outside, they said, you know what? Just charge them money and let them come in. Wow. That, that all got written up in the in the gleaner. Oh, okay, yeah, Jimmy. Talking about men prostrate at the sounds and you know, people <laughs> dropping legs outside because you know, people got real fancy with the dance boy. Especially <laughs> Yeah, but then the guys who were smoking some good stuff, they get real creative with it, you know. <laughs> anyway, you know, it was just uh, just one of the many historic things that I've learned and I heard all about this story, you know, from from the guys, from the Scatolites, from Tommy McCook and Lloyd Niven. Oh yeah, we should have gone to the World's Fair, yada. And then when you read the book, you know, it was there was no way they were going because everybody knew that they was unruly boy and ganja smoker and Mina send them to America. <laughs> <laughs> but it they didn't get the soul. You know, it's like sending the Philly band instead of the Motown guys. You know, it's like they they just didn't quite get the, the real thing. You know, so the, the music didn't take until what? 20 years later when, you know, bands like the Toasters and Bim Scala Bim and here in the, the, the beginning of the third wave, if you will, I'd have to say they must have crossed over between the second and the third wave because they were called 007. And that was the first thing. I didn't even really know, you know, what Jamaican ska or, or even that they called that stuff ska, like the English beat. I was, I was loving that stuff from day one, you know, but, I didn't know that it was associated with Jamaican music, really. I didn't catch the, because I didn't know so much about Jamaica. I knew Bob Marley. That's about it. One of my good friends came to me around 1975 or six with the, the Burning album or something. Like that. Mm -hmm. Hey, it's reggae. This Bob Marley guy. So I, you know, of course I, I thought the music was fantastic, but I missed the show. There was he played at Harvard Stadium in 1978. Very famous concert called the Mandela Freedom Concert or something like that. Anyway, it was um, I missed it. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny the way the Scatolites was playing behind everybody and wasn't doing anything for themselves at that particular time, you know. And then eventually they decided to do something. The same thing happened with um, uh, uh, the Funk Brothers. They playing all that Motown stuff. Exactly. You know, mm -hmm. the same kind of thing, you know. And then uh, eventually uh, they went out, you know, did this movie, the Funk Brothers, right? But um, they, you know, they, they received no credit. Unlike the uh, Scatolites, they would, you know, they would list the musicians. But Motown, they would not list the musicians. Yeah, man. So after spending half a career making everybody else famous, you guys finally broke it on your own and did it for yourselves. Well, yeah, I mean, it didn't. Yeah, I guess kind of because actually the music, you know, Don, Don got put in prison and then or the asylum. And then the band pretty much broke up and then the music changed into Rocksteady and the people went into their different camps, which was, you know, another part of the history of Jamaica, though, because those guys were all such 
incredible artists on their own right, in their own right, that, you know, Tommy McCook and the Supersonics, Duke Reed, Rocksteady, I mean, doesn't get much better than that, man. Classic stuff. Horn lines, bass lines, just all of it, you know, pretty much defined Rocksteady with the double in the bass and the just incredible stuff, man. I mean, these these people all. And I was listening to some of the Toots material with Lynn Tate and Ox Brown playing together, man. Oh God. So, um, like as they're talking about this, it reminds me just like how how deep the Scatolites catalog of music is. Um, you know, you have the the original recordings. You have uh, they reformed in '83. Um, how do you choose what songs are going to um, be featured when you guys play? I mean, obviously there's certain classics that like you feel you probably always have to have in like guns and Navarone has to be in uh, every set probably, I assume, but like do you rotate ones in, do you, do you pick, you know, as you like, like this tour, we're going to do these songs or how's it go? Pretty much. You know, I just kind of, I, I, I've ended up as an MC and song caller lately. So yeah, I mean, Lester was stuck in a rut. Lester was playing pretty much the ball of fire set for 15 years, and which was cool. It's the best of the Scatolites, and certainly, you know, as we flow mm-hmm. from country to country. But then we started going back too much, and it's like, all right, oh, this again, you know? So I've tried to, you know, get away from that and get into trying to be more on a little bit of a rotation. In fact, for Friday night, you're going to see here some very different tunes that we don't usually play on stage. And we're going to do a slight dedication, a small dedication to Toots. And nice. we, yeah, we got all kinds of little surprises in store for the folks because this is your only chance to get your yearly dose of the Scatolites. Of course, you're referring to the uh, October 30th uh, live stream show. I am indeed.
So I want to introduce Natty Frenchie. He just came pulling in. Greetings, greetings to the world. How are you tonight? I'm good. Thank you. Long day, but I'm good. So uh, you came in, I guess, probably just as we were discussing music and songs and what have you. Is that correct? Yes, I heard about Lin Tatum. So uh, we're going to throw you right to the wolves. I'm going to throw a question at you. There's no problem with the wolves. Just give him some ketchup, mayonnaise, piece of bread, wolf sandwich. He's all right. So uh, I, I guess I, I'm I'm curious because um, a little bit of producing you've done with uh, this Lolly Bella. How was uh, how was that for an experience for you? Was that pretty cool? Oh yeah, man. Oh, joining the Scatalites was pretty cool. <laughs> you know, yeah. Back in the days with Lloyd Nib, Lester Sterling. Yeah, that was something. That must have been nice. That was yeah, nice. my first show on stage with Scatalite at Goosebump, you know? I can imagine. Because yeah, when I heard Loiny roles and feel and playing, I was, you know, that bring me back to an area that I was even not born. But, you know, listening to that music from a youth, yeah. Ooh. So now we keep on Scatalite and... We, we decided, asked why we don't do an album, a new album. It was a long time. Scatalite didn't record an album. And Lloyd said, yeah, man. <laughs> Lloyd always ready, you know. And um, yeah, we went to the studio and La Libera producing and uh, mixing the album too with Val. Me and Val mixed the album and producing, yeah. I mean, uh, you've, you've performed with so many legendary musicians like just in the Scottalites alone who've like helped shape reggae and ska music just being on the same side as Val for so long is must have been quite an experience oh yeah we give thanks you know great experience great music and to be around those musicians learning a lot so yeah that didn't make it big you know but you know that was great you know give thanks I like that too Thank you. But great experience going to the studio. Then we did another album. My first experience with recording was really Val Douglas. Uh, I know Val Douglas before. I used to tour with the Congos, uh, different experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so Val and me, we used to we tour together. We And then one day he called me to record a song for the Scatalite, you know, on the guitar because they were missing a guitar or something. I don't know. So I went to the studio and I record a song and I find out it was the Scatalite song, you know, a Doreen Schaefer song on the album, the the one you did in... Um, yeah, Australia. Yeah. yeah. I don't remember the name of that song, but yeah. Doreen Schaefer sang the song. Bye-bye, my love. Yeah. And uh, so that was the first experience with the Scatalites. And then one day I get the call from Lester asking me if I can come do a gig. And yeah. That's it. More than 10 years. Yeah. Wow. Wow.
Platinum Sky was the the last full LP you guys did, right? Yes. Uh, is there anything on the horizon, like a new album, anything like that coming up? We've been working on something for a while. We've had all kinds of obstacles and issues. We haven't gotten anything out on the on the market yet, but soon come, Mark. All right. Has the pandemic made it harder? or Doreen is the, the most vulnerable of all of us, so right. she's not really doing anything until... Until everything's safer again. She's got some other medical issues she's trying to take care of. And she just needs to stay home and chill, and we're going to just deal with it. But we've got other vocalists coming on the thing, too. So we're working. We're working on cool. it. We have a lot of tracks. Yeah, we're not going to really worry about an album anymore. We're going to start releasing tracks as soon as possible. So oh, nice. Maybe a 45 vinyl. or mm -hmm. That would be an awesome thing. Yeah, speaking of 45s. Since this pandemic's been going on, lots of bands been collaborating, this and that, you know. A lot of the new stuff is coming out from a lot of the younger bands seems to be, uh, they seem to be trying to preserve the culture a little bit more through their music. I was wondering what kind of bands are out there now that you guys are really digging. Oh, oh so many. Oh, it is so many. <laughs> it's, it's hard to mention because then you don't want to hurt somebody that you didn't mention them. But I don't know, there's the prize fighters in, in uh, Minneapolis. The guy has the same guitar as Lynn Tate. Right. <laughs> you know, these people go just take it to another level. Some people just go so do their homework beyond, you know, just to, uh, to the nth degree. That, that, that's the key preparation. You can't beat it because if you're prepared, it's available. Right. Available. You know, nothing worse for me, right? Playing this, right? You know, to go for a line. And I hear it up here, but it's not happening here or right here. That's frustrating. So I'm practicing every day to make sure it's available. You know, you got to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, not only not only does it satisfy me, but you know, I got Ken, I got Frenchie, you know, I got Val. You know, my part's got to be my my, my link in the chain has to be just as strong as everybody else's. You know, and I'm doing what I can to make sure that happens. You know, that's my responsibility to the Scatolites, to Ken, Frenchie, Val, you know, Sparrow, you know, everybody. The other thing that's hard about that question is this, the sub-genres within the genre because, you know, uh, right. you, have, you have dub. There's a big dub dub trend going on right now. With oh, yeah. It's like Victor Rice. and It's about the production, you know, like Jason Nugent from the Slackers. With his crazy bald head project. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, H and J uh, does some cool uh, stuff. Nico Nico Leonard over in Belgium with the oh god, I can't remember the name of the new project. They used to be the uh, Moon Invaders, but now it's something else. Bad Sonic Records, I think. Anyway, that's just one little subgenre. And you can talk about all people all over the world from that one subgenre. The other thing that's really popular, and even James plays in the the large ska orchestra concept. Right. Kevin Batchelor, from who was the trumpet player before James, has started the New York ska no New York City ska orchestraism. What well, uh, Kevin? Yeah, New York uh, ska orchestra. Yeah, it's it's a big band, you know, traditional big band, four trumpets. Uh, five saxes, two alto mm -hmm. tenors, Barry, four trombones, three tenors, one bass, uh, bass trombone, and a rhythm section. 
and uh, we take like standards and we put like a teaspoon of scar on it and, uh, you know, deliver it with the scar field. That sounds you know? pretty awesome. And it, it, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. But there's also bands doing that all over the world. It's pretty much a trend yeah. right now. Yeah. Western yeah, I know, I know there's one in Australia like that as well. Yeah. Melbourne Ska Orchestra, awesome yep. band. And there's also the Rotterdam Ska Jazz Orchestra. Yep. We have that's a C Ska Jazz. Now that's another whole subgenre. Yeah. So you have mm-hmm. Ska Jazz. And you have Ska Core and Ska Punk and plain old Ska, neo traditional Ska and Two Tone Ska. And- What's the small group that uh, Kevin was touring with? Uh, we buck up a couple of times in Europe. New York Ska Jazz Ensemble? Yes, yes, yes. That was the first, I believe. Yeah. That was Devin James from from Scatolites and Carrie Brown from Scatolites started that band. And uh, eventually, I believe, Freddie Ryder was there in the beginning, too. Earl, Earl was there. Um, Earl was there at the end, yeah, but I'm talking early mid '90s was oh, okay. was when the band started, and it works. It pretty much started the whole damn genre, subgenre, whatever. Now you have Scott jazz bands all over the world, Brazil, and some are very good. Be mindful of you run for refuge and were rescued. That's a fact. Then why lie and try to buy the underfeeding? Yes, the good you do is after you.
So uh, we've been noticing that there's a fantastic scene coming out of like South America. I was just going to say dancing move from Argentina. Yeah. How is it touring in South America? I think what, uh, what what really shakes me up the most are the fans. I mean, good grief. The fans, oh my God, everywhere. Argentina, Mexico. What's the country where my boy got sick? Um, Chile. Chile, yes, yes. Oh my God. The best fans, I think, South America, if you ask me. Well, if you look oh, at the logo, the logo that's up here in this corner here, You'll see the, the that's the um, the logo for the record called uh, Live in Orbit, which we recorded the first time we went to Buenos Aires. We recorded, and we had to mix down the crowd because they were drowning out the instruments. Yeah, there was two thousand people in the venue, and they all sing the heads to the to the instrumentals. <laughs> And they drown out the horn players, man. You couldn't couldn't hear, you know, you could hear the people singing over the, the horn. Oh, man, they love it. And we would have to go with the crowd because if we go into the bridge and they're still in the A section, we'd have to go back to the, <laughs> we'd have to go back to the A section to keep everything in line. But it was cool, though, because they was having a ball. They was having a blast. They were loving it. We were, too. Yeah, it seems like they get like huge turnouts for for bands down there. Yeah, well, the Latino audience, you know, Latinos are pretty much enthusiastic, more, more show more enthusiasm, I think, than than most cultures. I think that uh, you know, not to be stereotyping, but every country, Spain, Chile, all the South American, Central America, Mexico. I mean, you know, I mean, the music is rooted in Latin music as well, so. You hear a lot. They hear a lot of familiar things from us. Mm -hmm. If you heard in the records, you know, little pieces of this and that, some actual downright plagiarism, etc. <laughs> South America. We love South America. Yeah, man. Peru, yes, yes. Chile. Yes. We never been to Bolivia. We want to go Bolivia. We went to Paraguay once. Uruguay. Okay. We've been to any of the Guyanas. Eventually, we played Rock Al Parque. We, we couldn't even see the end of the crowd. Crowd so far, I said, where the hell could crowd end? There's wow. 50,000 people wow. out there. Frenchie, uh, outside of uh, reggae, what other kind of uh, music are you are you jamming on right now? Oh, um, I love jazz. I love African music. I love salsa. You know, I don't really... I play reggae music sometimes, ska. Mm -hmm. I but right now, when I pick up my guitar, it's just to oh, I listen to music. It's world music, yeah, salsa, African, yeah, traditional, yeah. Can I, I understand you uh, had pretty full life, full of music, coming from two parents that were very musically inclined. Did uh, did they try to steer you towards a particular kind of music, and how did they feel when you eventually went towards uh, ska and reggae? Well, no, actually. My dad, of course, plays traditional jazz. So I, that was, you know, I was exposed to that. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't rammed down my throat or anything. And I loved to go to shows with my dad. I always did when I was, from when I was old enough to walk, I went if I could, you know. So as my mom was loved pop on the radio and she would go out and buy the records that she loved. And we would, you know, dance and I, I guess the first bit, dance I remember was a twist and I would also dance the cakewalk with my mom as I got older the cakewalk is a very you know specific to New Orleans jazz dance that's 
kind of like uh, almost like a line dance, but you just two people. Um, so I learned how to do that. But um, then I got into fusion as, as rock was, you know, I liked my share of rock, but I was, of course, listening to the stuff with the best keyboard work. Like, yes, progressive rock. Uh, but I started to get into fusion early on. Jazz fusion, I heard, first record I heard was Jazz Crusade, was The Crusaders, Chain Reaction. And I just fell in love with that shit. And I was like, man, this is... And then as I learned more about the music and I find out about Chick Corea and Weather Report and just all of the stuff, you know, and then I find out, oh, wow, Chick Corea's from Boston and plays, you know, with Gary Burton, who teaches at Berkeley. And so, you know, and here I am in Boston, which was in the mid 70s was like the, the jazz mecca of the whole country. And just you could see jazz like five or seven nights a week, probably more, you know, could go. To two, and we did. We went to more than one show one night sometimes. So we went bar hopping and just went to Wally's and then to Michael's and then over to Cambridge to go to Riles or Instrument Square. Blah, blah, blah. It was just on and on. It was crazy. And then, and then that started to go disco and I lost my interest from that. So then I started to get into New Wave, which I love New Wave. And that's what brought me to, to Talking Heads, which brought me to... You know, and then Sting and some of the police was always one of my... I love crossover, because that's what, to me, music... That's how music gets created. Oh, you heard that? And I want to mix it with this, and now we created that, which is, you know, same thing. That's how Ska formed, obviously. That's how music is created, right? You mix one with another, and presto change So... That's, you know, now that I got into reggae, I got into reggae, African. I love, like, King Sonny Ade used to come through th once every three months. Sonny Okosan, Tubale Roshiro, Tabule Roshiro. Um, just all of that stuff, you know, just, and reggae until I can't even stand it anymore, but I always can, and I always want more. <laughs> I, go to, I go to shows seven nights a week. And I used to, you know, I can get on the guest list pretty easy these days. And I used to be out and about, you know, back in the day, even when I was married with kids, I'd be out, you know, three, four nights a week, either playing and or seeing a show.
So, uh, James. Yeah. You're just so chill, man. You just sit there and listen, hang out. <laughs> yeah. There we go. I, I, I love it. I, I love to hear kid talk. He's dropping all this knowledge, man. Frenchie, too. Let me ask you. I don't know how technical you are. So if we were to grab your, uh, you know, disc man or walk man or, or your telephone or whatever device you might use, what would you be having in there if you were just chilling out, listening to some tunes? Uh, uh, I like Basha. Brand new heavies, incognito, cooling the game. Uh, uh, that that's on the funk side, and for my uh, for my reggae side, uh, Skylight, Bob Marley. I like Toots. Um, uh, I like uh, uh, what's the radical cat uh, that was with um, uh, Tosh. I like Tosh. I like him a lot. Yeah, and classical. Yeah, I like to listen to old reggae music. Reggae music, really. That's what it yeah, is. Yeah, you know. But uh, the sound and the music. Yeah, but my thing, uh, my introduction was um, actually uh, it was uh, it was bluegrass coming really? up. Uh, coming, yeah, coming up down south. You know, like uh, the old cotton fields and you know uh, Jimmy Crack corn and all them that kind of thing. That's where I got my ear from, you know. And plus, my father, he, he sang quartet. So when the group would come to the crib to practice, I would listen to everybody, hear what my father was doing, what Mr. Cook was doing, what my uncle was doing, what Mr. Uh, Crawford was doing. I could hear what everybody was doing. Plus, I got two other brothers that played trumpet. So, yeah, but uh, my playlist... Yeah, it would be like um, be like the uh, uh, R&B thing. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah, James, when we're on tour and I, you know, you play your headphone, uh, I can hear the... <laughs> oh, please, oh, you hear I know, I know you listen to some, yeah, funk, R&B, uh, everything. But... Yeah, I like that. Yep. Then I like to hear the classical trumpet players, you know, I like to hear them play, you know. And as a matter of fact, a lot of your leading uh, players now, they crossed over from the classical thing because the classical, you get so clean with the technique. And then when you come to the jazz, the only thing you need now is tonight know what the tune is, the structure of the tune. And you get all that clean technique. Oh, my God. And one guy that comes to mind immediately, uh, other than Wenton, is uh, Charlie Porter. Uh, there's this next cat, uh, Jonathan uh, Suraga, very good trumpet player, jazz player, you know. But they were doing like the classical thing, and then they did the jazz thing. Now, going from jazz to classical is a bit more difficult because with jazz, you're doing do we swap up, whereas with the classical, so, you know, everything is really clean and precise, whereas jazz, you know, you got a bit more, uh, 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 you take more, uh, what's the word, uh, liberties. Mm-hmm. The line and the notes. Yeah, like that kind of thing.
So, uh, Frenchie. Yes. How did uh, how did the time you spent with the Congos uh, influence you in terms of coming to the Skylights? Oh, yeah, not just the Congos, but yeah, Congos are maybe in and out 10 years. I Actually, I was on tour with the Congos in Europe and uh, I had to, with the maybe Lee Perry, Congo, it was like, they call it a package, you know, like different artists and I was playing with the band and I had to leave to go play with the Scatterlight. I passed on the gig to my friend, you know, and that's who they... He played with Alpha Blondie. Nice. Uh, yeah. so, but, uh, yeah. So, how is it different playing in a, a ska band versus a reggae band? Is, do you require, you know, more equipment, less equipment? Well, less equipment, I would say, from the playing ska. Reggae, you can play dub, so you, you're going to have some effect, or some wah-wah, or some... Mm. You can have that with the ska, too, you know, I mean... If you play some lead, you can put some delay or some distortion of a drive. Or you can do anything you want, really. But the tradition, when you listen to Scatalite, is no, you know, what I mean, too much effect. So yeah, it's, when I go on tour with Scatalite, I have a delay and an overdrive and my guitar hmm. and my tuner. So with the reggae band, I bring a, maybe yeah pedal board or different effect. So when you go on tour with the Scatalites, you have almost as little equipment as James. <laughs> yeah, travel light. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I have so much baggage. Luggage, I mean. I've carried <laughs> my kitchen, so. Uh, <laughs> I like to, yeah, if I could carry two guitar, I will, because sometimes it's always good to have a spare guitar or something like that, you know. When, you, when a, a string busts. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, one guitar, two effects, and that's it, you know. Like I said, a lot of luggage with my food and my kitchen, yeah, because I like to cook and do my thing. And like like James said, they appreciate too, the band appreciate. So it's all good. Of course, of course. Me, no, I just walk with my trumpet, but I have, like, extra mouthpieces. <laughs> There's been a time when uh, yeah. my trumpet has been damaged and I had to play the next trumpet, but I didn't have my mouthpiece, and that was extremely difficult. So I walk with one trumpet, I have a mute, and uh, I have extra mouthpieces.
Frenchie. Yes. You have uh, a musical relationship with uh, Val Douglas before you were even in the, the Scatolites. What's that like? How's that been? Well, Val is my big brother, you know. My children have to call him hon- Uncle Val. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I set it up like this. <laughs> yeah, man, Val. Well, you know, as a youth, you know, back in the days, listening to reggae music, vinyl, we have to turn the vinyl and look who's playing. You know, I don't know today too much because I don't listen to much new reggae. I hear it, but it's not it's not the same to me. You know, it's, it's good because it's, it's an evolution, you know, but I'm still attracted to the roots. Also. Yeah. So we used to turn the album and look at the name, you know, of the musician. So many times I see the name Val Douglas back on, on the back of the album. So moving now to New York, uh, yeah, maybe after a year, uh, Congo called me and I went on tour with the Congos and now they wanted to go on tour in Europe, September 2011, October, I think. Okay. No, 2001, sorry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> 2001. Yeah. And uh, Val was the best player for the tour, so... Man, I was on stage my first show. Val, big up yourself, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it was a great experience to have Val right there and to f- to learn, you know, to find out how it goes because those those men, they, they're part of the creation of reggae music, that music, of the sound. Many of them, but Val is one of them, yeah. So to be around Val, it was a great experience. And from that, we... My children had, had produced a, a song for my children back in the day, so he, he played on it, you know. And from that, we start a relation, you know, when Val needs guitar, he sent me, I need bass. He's, all my production are with almost with Val on bass. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, I produce some music too on my side. And um, great experience, great, great brother, amazing musician. Yeah. Uh, honor and uh, joy to be around musician like that and good people you know yeah awesome so uh, you have some side stuff that you side projects that you've worked on yes i produce uh, my company is called wadada production wadada mm-hmm. in perfect love so yeah and i've been doing some reggae music you can check it out it's online and i'm still producing for scatterlight for different people and artists local mainly in brooklyn mm. uh, some some stuff coming up soon and some great stuff <laughs> awesome but hopefully yeah it's in the mix thank you
So James, you've played with Burning Spear. You, you, you've you played with a lot of these guys who, you know, reggae legends. How was it to perform with uh, Vin Gordon from the Alpha Boys School? Uh, it was good. It was good to play, um, you know, to him and play because he got like some certain little things that he does that, uh, you know, you're just not going to find in a textbook. And to just see him execute like that, it was really good. And he, he's a lot of fun. He'll make, you know, he keep you laughing. And uh, uh, he's a good player. He's a good dancer. You check some of the video clips, right? He got this, got these moves, man. It's really incredible. But it was good. You know, he's uh, he's one of my favorites. A legend. Yeah. Yeah. He's still with us, though. Vin's still in the band. Damn, yeah, enough respect, Vin. Oh yeah, well James, you have uh, any side projects that you've been working on? Um, I got uh, I got this one thing happening. Uh, uh, we are trying to do a couple of things. Uh, uh, working with the flute player uh, Red. Got a thing with her, keyboard player from Jamaica, Zune. Uh, uh, we got uh, Ricardo on drums, and we got the Jed and the Gat on bass. Um, I'm trying to do a couple of things with that. And uh, I'm also trying to do a bit of writing because I got some things in my head that I need to get down, you know. Mm -hmm. Trying to uh, trying to do that. All the while trying to keep this in good shape, like I was saying earlier, you know, trying to uh, have some lines available when it's time, you know. Like when Ken uh, gave me the set list, when I first got in the band and Ken gave me the set list, I had to write all of these tunes because I knew the line and I knew the titles, but I didn't have them synced up. Right. So I had to write them out. So when Ken would call the tune, I would know what the line would be, you know? So that was good for me. That was very good for me. And uh, hopefully uh, this next thing that I'm talking about, you know, will be getting off the ground. We haven't uh, gotten a name yet. You know, it's still a brand new thing, you know, but, uh, you know, we got some things happening. And then, um, you know, got uh, some other things. Uh, been doing some things with uh, Tony Minaj. Uh, she used to work with Lisa Lisa. Um, uh, uh, Kevin Bachelor, of course, still working with him. And, uh, you know, quite a few things locally, you know. But since the pandemic happened, everything is just kind of like slowed down. So, it's not percolating the way it's supposed to or the way I want it to, you know? Yeah, yeah. I understand that. And then that's, uh, you know, that's the most difficult part for me, you know, practicing every day and not really having an outlet to let it go, you know? And now to close our show, we'd like to take you back to the music you came to hear, Scott. As we go to the hot, humid, steaming Arizona desert. This one is called Phoenix City!
With this live stream coming up, how uh, how can people get to it? Well, it's all over our Facebook page, Instagram. The ticket links are everywhere. Plus, one of the purposes of this project is to help venues, staffs. For instance, you know, we have 49 affiliate venues uh, selling tickets for the show around the world. And those affiliates get a percentage of the money for themselves that will go to try to help their stagehands, engineers, door people, ticket takers, whatever, you know, all the people behind the scenes of the show that don't get any acknowledgement. Yo, we need to let the people know what time we're going to be hitting Friday. 9.30 p.m. on Friday, October 30th, live from Sony Hall in Manhattan with very special guest dancer, Alfonso Castro with Larry McDonald, who technically is an original Scatolite, played on records and the shows back in the 60s. We got Dion Nib on vocals, and it's all going to be rebroadcast the next day for the Europeans at 9.30 Central Europe time. We will be, uh, for that one, we'll be online with people watching. It's like a watch party with the band. Oh, wow. Cool. It's a worldwide Ska party. Yeah. <laughs> I invite the whole world. It's going to be, um, you know, a little bit of uh, some kind of a surprise as far as like the set list and everything that you're pulling out. Some What can what can people expect? Yeah, we're going to play some stuff from more of the current albums, some more recent albums, some of the classics. We're going to mash it up, man. <laughs> oh, we got a nice brass section. Myself, we got uh, Zemadu, we got Anapadon, we got Buford O'Sullivan. Buford's on trombone. Zim and Anats playing tenor. Yeah. Killer section. Val Douglas, of course. Uh, Sparrow Thompson. He's kicking in. He's metronome in that night. Uh, uh, we got Frenchie, of course, pulling them strings. Ken doing them keys. A guest guitarist, because we're doing the Toots stuff, we've invited Andy Bassford to join us for the Toots medley, and we're going to keep him on stage with us. Andy sat in with the band and played with the band, substituted over the years. Been my good friend for about 35 years. It's been a long time we don't get together, and it's going to be fire. We miss playing, so it's going to be good, you know? Yeah, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, man. Well, gentlemen, I want to personally thank all of you for joining us it's been yeah, fantastic thanks to- so much thanks for your time You're more than welcome gentlemen welcome and thanks for having us I, I i look forward to when this pandemic is done and we can actually get together and, and meet you in person wow that would be so nice i think we'll all be happy when this thing is over with and again reminding everybody wear your mask we, we, we want to get rid of this thing so gentlemen again thank you very much thank you Yes, More thanks, guys. Welcome. More than welcome.